well. But Amen. How's everybody doing this morning? How many how many's got your Bible? Turn with me today uh, to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 22. Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 22. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for the spirit that's moved here today. And uh, God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for who you are, that you are a good God. And we thank you for the revelation that we have through Jesus Christ that he came to reveal to us who God was, how we could know him, what his character was like, how we could live a holy life, and how much, God, that you loved us. God, we didn't have a clue how much you loved us until Jesus. And so, Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have sent your son, God, to tell us the story, Lord, to give us the truth of your love, your plan for our redemption. And God, we believe on him. We confess Him as Lord, Savior, Messiah, uh, Lord, and we are anticipating His soon return, God. And until that day, may we be holy and spotless as Your bride, the church. Somebody said? Amen. Amen. We're going to start, continue with our series today about Be the Church. And uh, last week we talked about just how the church is literally the people of God. Uh, and if you missed last week, check it out online. Uh, but the church is the people of God. It's not a building or denomination. It's not that sanctuary family worship center. It is literally just the people of God. And we kind of took a trip through Israel and the book of Galatians. Uh, and just to see what the characteristics, the traits of uh, what it meant to be the, per- the people of God. But today we're going to talk about the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ. Uh, you know, Beth and I started dating on May 5th, 2001. Uh, May 5th, 2001, I asked Beth out. Now, it's different today. I don't know how the kids do it and they're talking and stuff like that. Now, I don't know how it works. But anyway, we asked her out on May 5th, 2001. We dated for five years. Uh, we got engaged on July 18th, 2006. Husbands, I'm, see, I'm, I'm, I'm getting brownie points here. She's not here here today. She's in a kid's church. But July 18th, 2006, my parents' anniversary. Uh, and we were married a year later. On July 21st, 2007, I think. All right. She'll check my facts later when she listens. Uh, And then we've been married since, you know. So for the last 15 years, I have been with one woman. Thank the Lord. She is my one and only first girl I ever kissed. First girl. And don't tell me when. I don't tell you when I did that. But first girl I ever held hands with, went to the movie with. The only person I've ever taken on a date to Steak and Shake. That was our first. You don't have Steak and Shakes down here in Louisiana. But it's like a, a 50s diner kind of a thing. Uh, and we got cheese fries and, you know, went to the movies and all that. But I have learned something. Uh, and I am, I am so very thankful. Now, I know that's not everybody's story. And that's okay. But I have learned something about the blessings of an exclusive, lifelong relationship. That there's just something that I don't have those regrets that I get to counsel people through, you know, and uh, the regrets of, of, you know, other people in my life or other heartaches or drama or loss. I praise God that I was a shy, nerdy, quiet kid that God had to just put somebody in my path and say, here, here's the one you should marry. Uh, and it's been a lot of compromise. Trust me. Uh, we've had to work a lot of things out and we didn't think we might make it at some times. And thank the Lord that I said, I'm sorry. And then we moved on, right? And that's how it works. Um, but there's something about this. And there's something about being in a relationship with one person for the rest of your life. Uh, because uh, there's just something spiritual about it. Because God has instituted marriage as not just something for us, but it's a symbol 
of his love for us. The way he loves us is the way he's called us to love others. And, and again, I'm not saying that to shame anyone or anything like that, but I don't regret missing out on anything the world told me about. Like, oh, go try this person on, or oh, go date this person, you know. Um, here's a good-looking girl. Go after her. I don't regret passing up all those opportunities because God's blessed us, and God's blessed me. And, uh, and I hope she thinks the same way, you know. Uh, but uh, there's no shame, there's no regret, there's no missed opportunities when you and I follow God's will the same. When we follow God's will and we don't look to the right or to the left and we say, God, this is what you've planned out for me, my very best for my life, whatever that looks like in your, your calling, there's no regrets when you go all in for Jesus. There's no regrets when you just go head over heels in love for him. I don't have any regrets. Anybody in this room today who's given their lives to Christ got any regrets about doing that? No, there's just something about this love relationship with God and that there's something to be said about a lifelong exclusive relationship with Jesus Christ. It's sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it doesn't always feel like it's always just pleasing. But there's something about crucifying the flesh and following God's plan. So let's look in Ephesians chapter five, verse twenty two. Through 30. I'm just going to kind of paraphrase this this morning, but Paul gives us this picture of the mystery of Christ in the church. And he puts it in the picture of an exclusive, lifelong, monogamous relationship between one man and one woman for one lifetime. Uh, and he pictures the church as the wife who says his, her job is to be subject to respect the Lord as her husband. And he says that Jesus is the head of the church, the savior of her body. That Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And then look down, it says, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansing her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present to himself the church and all of her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she would be holy and blameless. And he loved the church just like he loved his own body and he loves himself. And it says that we are members of his body, the church. We are the bride of Christ. Isn't it awesome that Jesus loves you like he loves himself? Think about that. That God loves you like he loves himself. That he's willing to give everything to make. I mean, he gave up everything to make a group of people. Now, it's not just you by yourself. We together are the body of Christ. It takes every single person who's got the spirit of God in them. We're together the body of Christ. So we got to be one. And he says that he wants to be one with us and us with him. And he, his desire is that you and him would be in an exclusive, a passionate, intimate, exciting, lifelong, fun relationship for the rest of time. That's his desire for you. Not just to hang out with you on a Sunday. It's not just to say, okay, I like him. They're a good person. But no, God saw something in you. He said, man, I want to be with that person for the rest of my life. God is forever. He says, I want to be with them forever. Do you think about yourself that way? You know, the world speaks a lot of things over you. It's speaking negativity. It's speaking, hey, you look this way. You should look that way. You should get this job. This is what pleases. This is what should be good. This is how you have a relate. He says, no, no, no. There's something in you that I've put in there, my spirit in you. But he says, I want to be with you forever. We're going to look at this this morning uh, about what does it mean to be the bride of Christ. The church is beautiful to Christ. And there's something about this benefit. There's a benefit of being an exclusive relationship with Christ, to be uh, the value of being His church, the bride. 
In this world today, there's a lot of things on you know, temporary pleasure. There's, there's, commit, there's a lack of commitment. There's lack of faithfulness in the sin of this world. And some people kind of see the church as this outdated institution or this thing that we're a part of that we attend. But it really comes back to being, man, God and I have this awesome relationship. Man, we are in this, this uh, we have this connection, God and I. And nobody can break it. And it's not something I just go to. It's not something that I just do. But me and him just are. That's kind of where we're going to talk about this morning. Okay, look with me. Uh, this morning, we're going to kind of go through this in a little bit of ways. What does it mean to be the bride of Christ? We're talking about it's being engaged. It's being in love. Uh, and, man, it's just being head over heels for Jesus. But uh, Christ offers us this deeper relationship. But how does he define your relationship with him? I'm going to take it this way. A lot of people, if I talk to today, they say, you know what? Oh, man, me and Jesus are good. If we go knocking on doors here in LaSalle Parish in Gina, Louisiana, man, oh, yeah, I love Jesus. Me, knock on the door. And yeah, I go to that church over there. You Christian? Yeah, man, I'm a Christian. I, I love Jesus. Okay, a lot of times, you ever been in those relationships where uh, they're not equal? Now, what I mean by that is I ask so-and-so, I said, are you like this person? Oh, yeah, man, he or she is fine. We like, I like him. The other person don't even know they exist, right? <laughs> They're like, who's that, right? That's sometimes how we are with Christ. I wanna add, before we even get through, because I feel like I need to pause for a moment. Before we even get into this, you may have a statement of faith for Jesus. You may have a, a defining what you say your relationship looks like with him. But let me ask you, what do you think his definition of your relationship is with you? You might say, oh, yeah, I love God. I go to church every Sunday. I believe in him. I baptize in water. I speak in tongues. I raise the dead. Well, I don't know. But what does Jesus say about you? What does he say he, he's longing for in your relationship? What is the depth that he says you have with him? And so the first thing about being the church is, number one, it's being betrothed. Being betrothed. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Betrothed, by the way, means engaged. Genesis 2, 24 says this, that God's design for marriage, we know, is to be one man, one woman for one lifetime. And marriage is this mysterious union where he says the two have become one flesh. That means literally spiritually, mentally, emotionally, they are together. It's a, it's a word that we don't understand. It's, it's togetherness. There is, they're thinking the same thing. They're going the same direction. They feel the same thing about what kind of pizza toppings they like. And that's not really what it means. But you all here this morning? What, what, where, man, this is the direction me and my family are going. This is the jobs we're going to get. Man, uh, we're not concerned about the other things, but man... I'm concerned about pleasing him, and she's concerned about pleasing him, and he's concerned about pleasing her. And it's one body, one mind, one soul, one spirit. That's the way he made Adam and Eve. You know, Adam and Eve couldn't even argue. And that seems like a miracle in itself, right, husbands? Come on now. Somebody got a man. I know it's summer, but y'all can't be that tired, all right? One woman, one uh, man for one lifetime, one flesh. So, So to be engagement, this. In the ancient times... To be engaged, a young man, we've talked about this before, a young man uh, would approach the father of the bride, all right? He'd say, hey, I want to marry your daughter. And he would, uh, a father would agree or not. So he would pay the dowry and he would write up a marriage contract, a covenant, a new covenant, if you will. You follow with me, those of you who've been in church for a while, a new covenant. He writes the new covenant, he writes that this is what the marriage is going to look like. And then he gives her a cup. 
uh, the cup of the new covenant of wine. And they take that wine together, a celebration of this new covenant and get this from Jesus. Right. And so he writes this up and he says, OK, well, I'm going to go away and build us a house. And he goes off. And he says, before I leave, I'm going to give you this gift. Now, Jesus gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit before he left. Right. I'm going to give you this gift to remember me by. And so your job until I get back and it might be a year or so. Until my dad says, hey, the house looks good, and he tells me I can leave. And the father would say, okay, son, you've finished the house, now go back and get your bride. And he would come in an hour, unannounced, to go get his bride. Now, ladies, that would not work in today's culture at all, would it? be like, you're going to wait until I say this dress is done, and the wedding flowers are in, and the cake's done, and all this kind of stuff, right? That's not the way it worked back then. He would show up, and they'd blow a shofar, and they would announce that he's coming on the street. Now, he would knock on the door and wait, and the bride attendants would just be ready. And they would take the bride and all of her luggage and move her into the new husband's house. Okay, that's the the way the Jewish wedding worked back in the first century. Okay, and so to be engaged, though, there was something different than today. You know, we have a lot of uh, we can get uh, our engagements can be broken. We get engaged. uh, We it's in the moment. Man, I love her and he love, love, love. And all of a sudden we realize, oh, wait a minute. This is permanent. I don't know if I'm ready to be with that person. And I don't know what they look like without makeup on or their hair, you know, and we, we kind of freak out sometimes. But back then, if you said yes to an engagement, you had to get a legal divorce to break it. All right. So engagement married. You had accepted. You had said, yes, I do. You were just waiting on the marriage, the the celebration, the party to happen. But the engagement was if uh, the only way it could be broken was through adultery. And so when you were engaged, it was as if you were already married. You just didn't have the physical benefits yet. And you were waiting and keeping yourself pure. And during that year, ladies, if a man would have come across you, you'd say, uh-huh, uh-huh, I'm married already. They ain't going to take them on these passes. You know, in America today, they're like, well, if she ain't got a ring on her finger, she's up for grabs, right? You know what they say? Not in Jewish culture. You get stoned, all right? Uh, so that's the engagement. He says, the bride of Christ uh, uh, is, is really, even though we're waiting, we are waiting for Jesus to come back, you and I are as married to him. The problem here today, I think in America, and I would encourage you to read Joshua Harris's book, uh, Stop Dating the Church. The problem in America today is that so many people are yet not married or engaged to Jesus, they're just dating him. And so uh, I've been learning a little bit from the youth uh, the last several weeks about the differences. You know, when I was a, a kid, we called it going out. We couldn't maybe go anywhere. Maybe you weren't driving yet, but it was going out. And maybe before that was courting, it was dating and stuff like that. Well, today, I, I guess they call it talking. Parents of teenagers may know more about this than I do. My daughter's too. But talking. Talking apparently is this. Uh, I'm educating the adults today. Isn't that awesome? Uh, Maybe if you have teenagers, you should know this. Uh, And and the youth are saying, don't tell them. Talking is something, and I even looked it up on Urban Dictionary students just to be sure you weren't lying to me. All right? Adults don't even know what Urban Dictionary is. It's okay. It it is this relationship with a person that it's really fuzzy line. You're talking, but it may or may not be also having physical benefits with it. And you should be talking just to one person, but most people apparently talk to more than one person. And talking is this looser form of dating. But dating back in the day, adults, meant you, you had dating and they had things called first, second, third, fourth base. They don't even have that to now. It's just talking. And whatever happens, happens. And there's no lines to it. 
Well, I think about this. A lot of people are just talking to Jesus today. They come, they say a prayer. They're talking with Him. They're expecting some benefits with Him, but they don't have a committed, faithful, lifelong relationship with Him. Somebody here today. It's just, that's not the design that Jesus has for His church. He says, hey, do you take me to be your forever husband? And there is no more death, so it's forever long. Not till death do us part even. There's no breaking of this. For me, do you take me? Do you think Jesus is good enough? that You push everything else aside in this world and you say, God, it's not about just what I'm getting. It's not just about what you're doing for me. But God, I am committed to you forever, for this life and eternity to come. And there's, thing, there's something about dating the stop dating Jesus. How do you know? I'm going to give you three things real quick. How do you know if you're dating Jesus? Number one, you're me-centered. And... Dating Jesus says, when we stop dating Jesus, what we're doing is we're saying yes to being his bride, the church. So in a sense, this is saying, how do you know if you really are the church? And how do you know if you're dating Jesus? Number one, you're me-centered. Let me give you a question. Is my attitude towards church me-centered? Do I only attend for social interaction? Do I attend for the program, for the activities? Do I attend because the preaching is good or maybe it's not so good sometimes? Or do I attend because the worship's good or the kids' program's good? That's me-centered. It's a good church. I like going to it. It helps me and my family. Well, that's not a bad thing, but if that's the only reason you're going, that's me-centered. Am I concerned about what other people in the church are going through? Uh, Am I asking Jesus how I can serve others in my church? If we're not, then we're me-centered. Number two, are we independent? Independent is asking ourselves this question. How involved am I in my local church? Do I attend and I just go through the motions? Or I'm being invested in a part of the church and its mission. Am I involved in the outreaches of the church? Am I involved in the education of our children and our youth? Am I involved in a small group Bible study? Am I involved in some kind of care ministry or prayer ministry? Uh, Am I participating in giving back to the people here among us and to God? Uh, Do I come and go to church without care? And do I think of others, I like this one, do I think of others in my church when I miss church? Mm. that's how you know if you love the people in this room. That when you're absent on vacation, when you're gone because you're sick or you have to work, you're thinking about, man, I really miss seeing Joe today. Or I miss seeing Greg today. Or I miss seeing Shannon today. Uh, I miss you when I'm not here. It's all week long and I get to see you again. Am I excited about being the bride of Christ, His church, and being together with you? That's how you know if you're too independent. Uh, perhaps number three is critical. Do I often see flaws in the preaching and the worship or the people or the building or the programs? I'm going to tell you what, there are flaws. Every single person in this room has flaws. This church has flaws. But am I focused on the flaws more than I'm focused on what we are as being the bride of Christ? Or am I quick to look for the best product, ready to leave our, my local church if I hear a better preacher or a worship service or a new program down the road? And I'm telling you, I'm not really committed to this church. If another church starts down the road, we get, it, we get a lot of, sometimes we get new churches in Gina, and then you see this wave of people go. And finally, just to be honest this morning, you see it. All of the Minister Alliance pastors, we talk about it, how when there's a new pastor, a new thing, a new ministry, we'll see in the town of Gina, we'll see the following, and they'll just flow to the new thing in town. That's not being the church. That's just being seeker-friendly and, and, and following the new trends. But are we committed to one another? If I'm committed to you, and this is where God has led me to be, uh, uh, and you're my brothers, my sisters. 
You're my friends, my family. You're, you're one with me, and we're one with Christ. And so we love one another. And so how am I helping to make the church a better place for Christ? Think about it this way. What, it, what would it be like if you asked someone to marry you, but they said, and maybe this has happened to you, so I'm sorry if this is, but if you asked someone to marry you, but they said, well, you know, let's just keep dating. Or, you know, I think we should see other people. Anybody ever had that? Don't raise your hand. I'm just, I'm just, I don't want to embarrass you. But, you know, like Jesus comes and he says, would you, I'm dying for you. Would you be my bride? And we say, you know, Jesus, I like you and all. And I, I like your church and, and I like what you did. But, you know, I'm not just not ready for that kind of commitment right now. I'm not ready to be that radical for you to be sold out. You know, I'm not one of those people that's going to wear the Jesus t-shirts and put on my bumper sticker and everything I post on Facebook is going to be about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You know, that's a little, you know, I kind of need some space in my life. I got some hobbies I like. I got some things I want to do. I got some opinions, you know, I'm not ready to let go of. And what would you do if you asked someone to marry you and they told you that? Think about it. What do you think Jesus is up in heaven looking at people and his bride and saying, man, I died for you. I, I want to live for you forever. And I, I'm not preparing a place for you. And man, if you just only knew how much I loved you and how much I think of you. And you're my every thought, my daydreams. And I'm dreaming at night about you. And I just want to be with you and talk with you. And every morning you get up and I've made the birds to sing for you. I made the sun to shine for you. The clouds to just be over your house and the flowers to grow in your yard and and and. And then we just go about our day. We just say, you know, God, I thank you for my house. I hope you'll help me get through this. And I hope you'll help me get through that. And God, I really would want this. I want that money. I need this. I need that problem. And he's like, man, I just, I just want to be with you. I just want to spend time with you. And that's why he created us, to walk with us in the garden, to spend time with us. And, and Jesus is not just interested in talking or dating you. He's offered you a new life with Him. And He's not someone you can just shack up with, like today. And it's not someone you can just run around on. He's not designed His church for an off-again and on-again relationship. It's a covenant marriage. Paid for in His very blood. That's something to be cherished. That's something to be honored uh, and received gladly and joyfully. You know, I, I think about church daters and, and people who are dating Christ. You're only, uh, Josh Harris, he says, they only cheat themselves, they cheat their families, they cheat their church family, and they, and in fact, cheat the lost, the communities. Because God has ordained that you and I be together to be one with Christ, that church is the only hope for the world, that we are here to be a light in the darkness, His bride. And so to be engaged means... Not just to date Him, but it means to be one with Him. And that is, is that your goal today? That in a marriage, and we've got a couple newlyweds here today, uh, uh, but our, our, it, our goal in marriage is to be one with that person. And so when I say yes to Jesus, my goal should be to be one with Him, to think the things He thinks, to go where He goes, to say what He says, to, to pray what He prays, and to uh, talk what He's talking. That I want to have... All of my opinions, all of my personal... You know, when I, Beth and I have been together 15 years. Uh, and, and, a, and a lot of that 15 years has been a lot of this, like sandpaper, rubbing off my rough edges and her rough edges to kind of get a working relationship that today, uh, I don't have to... She doesn't have to tell me to do the laundry. 
uh, on, thank the Lord, or I don't have to ask her to mop the floor or anything like that. We just are synced because we've spent time together. We know what one person likes. And, and a funny story is that three years, three years into our marriage, I was making bacon one morning and I was going to make it just like she liked it. And so she liked it a little crispy. How many people like their bacon crispy? All right. Some people like it just, you know, done. You, know, you can chew on it a little bit and use it later at work and spit it out or something. I don't know. But crispy, right? So I'm making a make. I'm a good husband. Get up early. It's a Saturday. Make the eggs and the bacon. I can cook a little bit. And, and so we get in there. And I don't even remember what we were saying. I was in a little bitty house in the parsonage. And uh, I said something. I don't, I don't even remember what it said. But come to find out we're eating. And she said, this is a little, little done. I'm like, well, it's just like you like it, honey. Right? You know, not really. Uh, and we got to talking about bacon, just things married couples talk about on Saturday, I guess. And I said, you know, yeah, I like it kind of middle. I'm a middle person. I don't like it black and charred. I like it just done and, and slightly where the fat's gone off of it. And she's like, that's how I like it too. And I'm like, wait a minute. You mean for the last three years I've been making your bacon crispy? And she's like, oh, I thought that's how you liked it. And I said, no. I've been doing this because I thought this is how you liked it. So we lost three years of bacon uh, <laughs> at our house because I was trying to please her and she didn't say anything. She was trying to please me. And isn't that how it should be with Jesus? That God, what do you want to do today? God, how can I please you? I just want to be one with you. And God, whatever you want, God, that's what I want. Where God, where you want to go, God, that's what I want to go. So are you engaged with him? Number two, are you in love? The church is in love with him. Are you in love with Jesus? Israel is called God's bride in Scripture. In the Old Testament prophets, and they continually warned Israel that their love was fading away. Even in the church of Ephesus in uh, Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, it says uh, they left their first love. They fell into sin. They stopped doing good deeds. And, and Jesus even tells them, he says, hey, you're going to lose your place in my presence, in my temple, if you don't repent and get back to me, my first love. And what is your... Motivation for your relationship with Jesus today? Uh, is it just ceremony? Uh, maybe it's an arranged marriage. Maybe you're like me. You grew up in church and your parents just said, hey, you got to go to church today. It's church. Now, that won't happen so much in the 21st century. But when I was a kid, I didn't have a choice. We went to church. Uh, and so maybe it was an arranged marriage. I don't know if that's good or bad. Uh, but sometimes it becomes an arranged marriage. Sometimes maybe you're just marrying Jesus for he's got a big house. He's got a lot of money. Cattle on a thousand hills, the Bible says. And maybe it's just because you know what he'll do for you. Some people are married to the wrong person because of what they'll get out of the deal. There's people who make a career out of that, going and marrying people, just because they're going to get something out of the deal. Jesus is not invested in you to get something out of That's not why he bought you with a price and he paid for your death and raised you from uh, to new life. It's not so he could just give you a mansion up in heaven with streets of gold. Let me be honest. That's not the point of heaven. The point of heaven is not gold. The point of heaven is not jewels. The point of heaven is really not even be not sick or never have to work again. The point of heaven is that you get to be with Jesus. That's the point. So if you don't want to be with him here, why would you want to be with him there? Right? What's the motivation? Do you go to church because you think uh, or, uh, uh, you get some benefit and God's not going to judge you? Or do you go to church and pay your tithes because you think that's just going to give you a blessing? Or, or, or you, you go to church because you know you need a healing? Those are all good things. That's not the point of the relationship. He just loves you. 
And so do you love him? Whether or not he heals me, whether or not he blesses me, whether or not uh, I have a good life or a bad life, I just love him. That's the point of this whole thing. We're the church, the bride. And so the bride is supposed to be in love with him. Uh, I challenge you, look at Psalms 45. Psalms 45 is written uh, in prophecy about the bride and the groom. And Psalms 45 talks about this bride uh, who daydreams about her future husband, the king. Right? And just kind of highlight some of it. She says uh, she daydreams about his gracious words. She daydreams that he's a mighty warrior. He sits on an endless throne, that he loves righteousness, that he dresses her in gold and he allows her to sit at his right hand. And so us, the church, are we in anticipation for our final marriage with him, the marriage supper of the Lamb, when he comes back at the rapture and rescues us from this world and takes us to his home with his father? Uh, Are we sitting here thinking, man, our God is an awesome God. You know, the songs we're singing, man, uh, there is no one like him. He is worthy that we're just captivated by who he is. Man, he is righteous. Man, he is a love. He has a love that never fails. Man, my God is always uh, available when I call him. He never leaves me nor forsakes me. Man, that's that's who he is. Man, I'm just excited that he loves me, and I get to spend the rest of eternity with a guy like this, with a God like this. And and even Song of Solomon. Yes, it's a weird book, and yes, that you have to kind of look through it. But the Song of Solomon really is a, a paraphrase or a, a, a metaphor about the church longing for Christ, uh, and, it, and it says things like this: that no one is comparable to him; that he's the chief among ten thousand; he's altogether lovely. We sing a song with that title, that phrase in it. He's the beautiful rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley. That we're just captive. The church is a people who are captivated by who God is. He is the very best of all things in our lives. He is the only thing that we long for, that we need, that we desire. And that's the relationship we have. And uh, you think about it this way. And if you ever met a couple that were really in love, and most of the time they're not married yet, right? <laughs> just be honest. They're engaged. And man, you talk to them, oh man, it's going to be great. We're going to just, it's, it's seven hours, three minutes and two seconds. And you know, until we get married, and, and that's cute and all. And, and you get married and you're like, oh my gosh, your hair is not ready and you're waiting on the kid. You know, but in that moment, you know, you and I are anticipating a wedding day. And we should take something from these couples that are newly in love and think, they are just excited to be married. Don't you remember, those of you who are married, just you were excited that? Count down the days, the hours. The church is counting down the hours. And all we should be able to talk about is that we just get to be with Jesus soon and very soon. Man, He's coming. It's anticipating. And so we're in love with Him. And he, uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 says, This is love, not that we love God, but He loved us, sent His Son to be the substitute for our sins. Let me tell you this. When you're in love, you'll run from the cheat. Think of it this way. A person in love doesn't have a thought about another. Their focus is on the person they're in love with. For instance, when you were on the way, ladies, to your wedding day, and let's just say you had your white dress on, you, your bridesmaids were there, and you're at, the, you're at the place getting your hair done, and some guy comes, and he's going to make a pass. He's a bold guy. Makes a pass at you in your wedding dress. What are you going to do to that dude? You're going to... You know, uh-uh-uh, snap the fingers, or I don't know what you're going to do, turn the head and flip the hair or something. You're going to keep on walking. 
Why? Because you're on the way to be with your groom, right? And the Bible says Satan is a sly devil, that he is, a, uh, uh, he is an adversary, an accuser, a slanderer, that he is that evil serpent. And he's sitting out there to tempt you in your mind, to tempt you in your body. And, but you are on the way to your wedding day. And just like we wouldn't entertain the thoughts on the way to our wedding of looking at another man or looking at another woman, we as Christians should not be entertaining thoughts of that pleases me in the world, drugs, alcohol, emotion, uh, that, that, that person over there, that lust, that pride, that, that feeling of anger makes me feel better that I have control, that feeling of unforgiveness makes me realize that I was wronged, or uh, whatever it would be, that habit or that hurt. We're talking about celebrate recovery, our hang-ups we're coming up with. The things in this world that we're looking to hold on to that, that give us pleasure or control or a sense of worth or value, we wouldn't look to if we were on the way to our wedding. We wouldn't see satisfaction in finances in this world or we wouldn't see satisfaction in material gain or possessions or, or what the world would call us to be. You wouldn't be concerned with what the world says, this is what's going to make you happy. This is what's going to fulfill you. This is what's going to uh, please you and lead you to a happy, successful life. You'd be thinking... I've got all the happiness and success I need right now. Today's my wedding day. Today's the day that I get to be forever with the one that I long to be with. And I'm not entertaining any of those thoughts, devil. God, I'm not entertaining any of those things that would want to pull me to the right or the left because I am just so head over heels in love that I get to be with Jesus. Do you have that sort of relationship with Him? Do you understand who He is and what He's done for you? That He captivates you in such a way. And I'm not there yet. I'm going to be honest. I want to be though. I want to be so in love with God that when temptation comes to my door and whatever it would be, we all have different things that get us. But whenever that anger, that lust, that pride, that unforgiveness, that shame, that regret, whatever that is, that we just be like, Psh, I don't want none of that. I'm not, that doesn't, that doesn't even attract me anymore. Because I've seen who Jesus is, and nothing else satisfies. Amen? Second Corinthians 11.2, Paul says, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy, and I betrothed you to a husband so that Christ might present you as a pure virgin. But I'm afraid that as the serpent is deceived by Eve, or the Eve was deceived by the serpent, by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray by the simplicity and the purity of devotion to Christ. Do we see the beauty of just a simple and pure relationship with Jesus Christ that it captivates us, that we're not deceived by the things of this world? We're not deceived by false doctrine. We're not deceived by uh, things that would uh, lead us astray. But we are just saying, my mind is so simply captivated, purely devoted to Christ. And so the bride is engaged, the bride is in love, and the bride is ready to be married. Part of that marriage, though, when the husband would purchase that wife in the ancient culture, she would become a new person. Uh, when she signed that, when they did that, took that cup, and they, uh, the father said, hey, you can have my daughter. And he says, okay, this is the engagement. Do you? And she says, yes. She literally, her, at that moment of her engagement, her rights were transferred over. She actually became his. She left her father's home, became, uh, and even though she hadn't physically done it yet, she spiritually had become his uh, and they would be finally uh, completed at the, at the wedding ceremony. You and I, the Bible says that when we 
accept Christ, that he declares us a holy people in Deuteronomy 7, that we belong to him, that we are chosen to be his special treasure uh, if we love and obey him. Second Corinthians 5.17 tells us that if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And even in Ephesians, he says that he has sanctified the church, prepared her to be a spotless bride, that she's chosen, that she's accepted, that her she's different now. And she's wearing that, uh, preparing and wearing that white gown. When you and I understand who we are in God, what He's called us to, that we are new, you don't have to live the way you used to live anymore. The Holy Spirit provides you the power of victory over sin. You don't have to uh, live in the shame and the regret and the identity of the things that you had done in your past. or the, Even after you've been a Christian and, and, and problems come and you've made mistakes, you just keep pushing yourself into the love of Jesus. And He says, I'm making you new. Until the day that you get married, I'm making you in the presence of... I've given you the gift of the Holy Spirit to remember me by. And you just allow that Holy Spirit to continue to wash you in my word, to continue to purify you, to make you into my image, to make you ready for the day that will be one forever. And realize you are new. Smith Wigglesworth said this. I read a quote this week. He said, You must come to see how wonderful you are in God and how helpless you are in yourself. I'm not one of those lovey-dovey kind of people, guys. You know, and I'm preaching on the bride of Christ today, and some guys are probably thinking, man, this is kind of this is for the ladies, this sermon, right? But there's something about understanding who God has made you to be. And maybe ladies deal with that maybe more than guys or young people. But when you realize what He speaks over you, if you've had a parent speak negatively over you or a person in your family speak negatively, you know what that means. It affects you. So when God of all creation says, I want you, I like you, I'm going to give you my very best, and that should do something. It undoes everything the world would say that church is nothing. Church, you guys are just passing. You just, you're the, the piddly nobodies. You don't have a voice in this world. What you, your rights, your, your desires, what you say is holy and not holy, doesn't really matter. What you say is marriage or not, doesn't really matter. You're just the church. No, no, no. You are God's bride. You're the one He purchased. You're the one he's, He died for. You're the one He's going to set this world back and right for. You are something. You're the church. You're the bride of Christ. You're a new person. And are you ready to be married? Are you ready to be married? A true, a true bride is ready to be married. You know, Beth and I planned for a year for our wedding. I know not everybody does that, but we are OCD, both of us. And uh, we had our plans to finish college and all that kind of stuff. She was working on her master's. And so we worked on a year for our wedding. And at the wedding, guys and gals, what does everyone say? You know, they say, the piano player goes, dun, 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 dun. And not the Star Wars theme. But, you know, they, maybe that's what you had at your wedding, but not mine. We've had, here comes the bride, right? And so, you know, they push the keys and everybody stands up. And the doors open, the double doors, and the bride comes walking down. And, and what does everybody say? Oh, she's so pretty. She's so beautiful. Every, every head turns. And there's a rule. If you ever go to a wedding, your shoulders, you know this. This is etiquette from a pastor. Everyone in the building, your shoulders should always be perpendicular to watch the bride wherever she goes. If the bride moves, then your shoulders stay right where the bride goes. That's just, that's the rule. Okay? You didn't know that. And so everyone is captivated by the bride. But here's what I found interesting. Where is the bride's eyes? On the groom. The whole wedding. She comes down the aisle, everybody's looking, oh, she's so pretty, oh, she's so awesome. You know, we could get so infatuated with, man, I am awesome. 
I am purchased by the king. I am a child of God. I am the chosen people, a royal possession. You know, I am blessed. I am highly favored. We could get so captivated by ourselves and how awesome we are and how awesome we look and get into the religion of church attendance. But all, even though we are, man, you are pretty. Man, she is a beautiful bride. The church is a beautiful thing. So many people criticize her and put her down. But man, the church is an awesome thing to be a part of. But our eyes are on Jesus. We're just going, we're almost there, church. Jesus is coming so very soon. And right now, may our eyes not be looking to the right or to the left or to ourselves. We don't need any more self-image lessons in the church. We don't need any more self-help books or any more uh, uh, thoughts about self or self-improvement. We don't, Jesus paid for ourselves. We crucify the self. And our new self is looking to Him, that we're made in His image. It's all about Him. And so, are you ready to be married today? If Jesus would come back today, are you pure, a pure, spotless bride? Revelation chapter 19, verse 7 says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to Him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, His bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, and that linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Let me say this. It's not about what you've done. It's not about what you can wear, what you don't wear. It's not about what you do and don't do. Those are works. Yes, those are good. But it's the faith in you, the, the looking to Him, the Holy Spirit in you that produces that good fruit like we talked last week. You're not holy because of things you've done, but He gave you the Holy Spirit that makes you holy. That's, that's what makes you holy. Not what you are and what you think you've done and looking to ourselves to better ourselves. And it's not more makeup. I'll tell you what, that husband, if he truly loves his wife, he doesn't care if she's got makeup or not on walking down that aisle. He's ready to be with her. And, and, and you may, and yeah, that's good. That, wear, wear those things, put on those, fine. he's given you all those things, the, the righteous acts of the saints. But, you know, he purchased that dress. He purchased those jewelries that he's given you. He gave you that ring. You know, God is the one that makes us holy. But our job is to keep it on. If God has challenged you in an area of your life, He said, if he, God tells you today, give up TV, then you better give up TV. And you better not put it back on. Right? If God tells you to give up alcohol, you better give up alcohol and not put it back on. If God has told you to give up your foul language and your foul speech, or He told you to give up unforgiveness or forgive that person, then that's what He's told you that's going to make you holy. He knows how to make you holy. And so you are responsible to the groom to keep your eyes on Him, off of yourself, and keep everything on. The Bible says that we put on Christ. And so whatever He's given you to put on, keep it on. Amen? Worship team, would you come? Every head bowed, every eye closed. You are the bride of Christ today. If you've asked Jesus into your heart.